we have a beautiful city and we're longing for it to be more beautiful. Amen? Inside and out. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and find it. I want us to look together at this passage. I'm speaking about forwarding God's care in the book of Ephesians. And this is the section, God's care expressed. And today, caring through behavior. I got into this and I realized that there's too much text for one sermon. So I divided my plan into two. So I'm going to preach on uh, verses 26 and following next week. And I'm going to cover the seven opposites about our behavior. So that's going to be next week, March 21st. Today, I want to look at carrying through behavior beginning with verse 17 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Have you found it? So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I just want to stop there. And talk to you about behavior. And how important your behavior is. I want to appeal to you today. Just like the apostle appeals to the folks in Ephesus who first read this letter. I want to appeal to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Who live and work in the schools and the shops and the institutions of this city. I want to appeal to you to live a life of love, which is how the apostle summarizes this behavior he calls for in chapter 5, verse 2. And I'm going to get there next week. Live a life of love. Nothing matters except faith expressing itself in love, he says in Galatians chapter 5. He is calling us to love. I'm appealing to you then to live a life of love. Now, the Danziger Bridge conspiracy widened this week. And with it, the blight on our police department and our city. And if you Google Danziger Bridge, you will find articles all over the world about what has happened here in New Orleans. I was reading the paper this morning and saw two things that got close to my own soul and heart. One of them is the unfolding scandal of priest sexual abuse of children in Europe. Have you read about this? Do you realize how widespread it is? Over 3,000 cases now that they're dealing with. And in a second instance of clergy corruption, we have a local Baptist preacher named Benjamin Edwards, who is going to jail for shaking down companies from his position on the board of the Sewage and Water Board. 
So you can't act in bad ways without not only throwing a blight on your own soul and reputation, but staining the people around you. So there are people in this world who look at a clergyman and suspect that he may be a child abuser or a thief. And they, the taint which that individual has brought on himself spills over to others. And that's the nature of corruption. So I'm appealing to you as a member of the body of Christ and a member of First Baptist New Orleans and a brother and sister in the family of faith. I'm appealing to you today, please live a life of love. Please. Abandon the empty behaviors. That's what he says. He says, abandon those empty behaviors you used to have. Now, when he talks about living, he uses the word walk in verse 17. And he uses that word a lot to describe the manner in which we live. Your walk. What's your walk like? There are Christian groups and traditions that will ask you that. to come up to you and say, how's your walk? Hey, I want to know today. How's your walk? How's your conduct? How's your speech and your attitudes? The habits that you have? The things you're engaged in? Your walk is very important to God. Your walk is distinctive to you. Your friends see you coming from a distance. And before they can see your countenance, they see your walk and they know who you are. Because your walk is yours. It's unique to you. And it is shaped not only by your father and mother and the genetics that you receive. It's shaped by all the different influences of your exercise and how you hold yourself. The things you've done all these years. And your Christian walks the same way. It's unique to you. It's distinctive to you. And it's shaped by all the influences and experiences of your life. This walk that you have so vitally important to God now he says that the Gentiles have a walk verse 17 you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do that's lost people in the futility of their thinking started meditating on the idea of thinking being connected to your walk. And it occurred to me that if my mind is troubled, it affects my walk. Sometimes my mind's so distracted, I run into things. Has that ever happened to you? If if your mind's not right, you might end up walking sideways. And if your mind goes out, you drop to the ground. You can't walk without your brain working, can you? you got to be thinking to walk. And some of us can't walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to really pay attention to where we're walking and what we're doing. And the older you get, the more that's true. You're just working hard so you won't fall down. You don't want to trip. And so you stay engaged mentally with your walk. You have not only a walk, you have a mindset. A way that you think. And view the world. 
with presuppositions and ideas that you hold to be true. And sometimes you quote these ideas. And you talk about them with your friends and your family. Some of them you received from your father or your mother. And others you learned on your own. And all collected, they are your thinking in the world. And the thinking affects how you walk. Now, Paul is saying, please, please, don't walk like you used to walk before you knew Jesus. Like lost people still walk today in the futility of their thinking. And futility is the word for emptiness or vanity. If something is futile, it has no power. It has no goodness. It has no truth. So some people are meandering around on the planet. Behaving in certain ways. And the reason they are doing it is that they have futile thinking. It's empty thinking. And the thinking does not have truth in it. It doesn't have goodness in it. And it has no power in it. And if you look at it, it's weak. It's false. And it's poor. This thinking they've got. And all of us used to have it. Before we knew Jesus. Now he's appealing to them as believers in the Lord Jesus. So something happens to believers sometimes. After they have even trusted Christ. They get discouraged. They observe a Christian that they respected who falls and gets out of the will of God. They observe some pastor, preacher or deacon who gets into trouble morally or spiritually. And they get discouraged themselves and they lose their walk. You can return to the old tapes if you're not careful. Peter went back to fishing after knowing Jesus for three years. You know why? Because if he couldn't be a follower of Jesus, that's all he knew to be. And that's happened to some of you. Some sin trapped you. Some disaster came upon you. Something you couldn't figure out. And you just said, you know, I can't do this. And you've really quit trying to do it. And you've gone back to the old person, the old tapes that play in your head, the person you used to be. And maybe you said in your, out loud just like Peter did, you know, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this. I can't do this. All right. The apostle is appealing to them not to live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And I want to show you what the futility of their thinking is. And I want you to look with me in verse 18. They are darkened. That's the first thing. There are four qualities of this empty, vain, powerless thinking that affects people's walk. One of them is it's dark. They are darkened in their understanding. I tell you, the darkest place in the world is the place where you say, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, and I don't care about anybody. That's a dark, 
place. And its core value is a sense of lovelessness. Have you ever known anybody that just felt they were unloved? I asked a lady one time, I said, don't you know God loves you? And she said, why should God love me? No one else has ever loved me. That's a dark place to live. The place where nobody cares about you and you don't care about anybody. And then he says, they are separated from the life of God. And that is the idea of abandonment. That I have been abandoned. Hopelessness at the core of this attitude. Some people retreat mentally into the notion, whatever will be, will be. You know what that means to them? It doesn't matter one thing what I do. It doesn't matter what I do. It's been written in the stars. I remember preaching down at the old Brantley Center and saying, Jesus can change your life. And a guy in the back got up and stormed out of the room. And as he went, he said, nobody can change your life. It's written in the stars when you're born. And out the door he went. Some people think that. Some people descend into a kind of fate and futility where they say, nothing I do matters. Now, we serve a God that is often described as the living God. He's a dynamic God, and He is dynamic in your life. And when you are connected to the life of God, life is dynamic and interesting and full and transformational. And you know God makes a difference not only in your life, but in the lives of people around you. But you can descend into this kind of futility of thinking. Separated. Abandoned. Nothing I do matters. Some people live in a biological determinism. They think that genetically they are trapped. Some of them live in social determinism. I am just a product of all my experiences in my environment, and that's all I am. There's nothing I can do about it. And it is often used as an excuse for bad behavior. Well, you know, it's my parents' fault. The way I am, they made me like this. And so anytime I practice bad behavior, I blame my mom or my dad. Nothing I do matters. It's all happened to me. Separated from the life of God, it's futile thinking. Look at the next one. Because of the ignorance that is in them. That's a third dimension of futile thinking, okay? Darkened. Separated, ignorant. You know, there's more than one way to know. And this ignorance is not a lack of data. It's not like they lack the facts. It's not a lack of logic. As if they cannot think properly from A to B. It's a lack of faith. Some ignorance is a product of unbelief. Some things you cannot know until you believe. 
And in our unbelief, we ignore the things that stare right in our face. That's ignorance. It's willful. It's on purpose. Some of us have constructed intellectual arguments against the existence of God and the truth of Scripture and the reality of Christ, not because they make sense to us, but because they validate our immorality. They are ways of staying in darkness. They are rationales for behavior we know is self-destructive and often destructive of others. And they are true ignorance. Willfully refusing the truth. Paul says in Romans that there's not a single person on the planet that has an excuse. They are all without excuse. Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. And the power of God ought to be evident from the things we observe. The futility of your thinking includes ignorance. And finally, they are hardened due to the hardening of their hearts. I think as Paul describes this, this hard heart has pleasure at its core. It's the mantra, if it feels good, do it, that I grew up with back in the 70s. People saying, if it feels good, do it. Look what he says about these feelings. Having lost all sensitivity, that's verse 19, that's because of the hardened heart. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. If you live feeding desires you know are destructive and evil and you even sense how they poison your life, your heart gets hard. It's like it hardens over. It gets calloused because you're disobeying God willfully and layer after layer of disobedience come into your life and sit until the prompting of God and His Spirit can't even get to you. You've made your heart so hard. Now, those are the four qualities of futile, empty, powerless thinking. The kind of thinking that is not true and it is not good. But people are practicing it every day and it affects what they do. They are darkened, separated, ignorant and hardened in mind. And the mindset changes the walk. Now, this is a dangerous way to be, people. We can't be there. This is dangerous. My brothers and I were scrambling around the mountains in El Paso one day and we came on this black hole. And we thought, hey, that would be neat to explore. So we crawled down the rocks and got into a tunnel, an old abandoned mine shaft. We didn't really have a flashlight, but we wanted to creep in there as far as we could. So we were just going along. And I remember to this day, 45 years later, the moment I realized, hey, wait. 
It's black in front of me. There's a hole here. And I stopped on the very precipice of a vertical shaft. If I'd have taken another step, you'd have had somebody else for your preacher today. I dropped a rock in the shaft, just hardly hear it when it hit the bottom. This is a dangerous place to live. And you know what the problem is, Parley, with this? Is you live in it. You live in such danger when you're young. When you're a high schooler and you become a college student and you go off to school and for the first time the paradigm of your parents is challenged by somebody with authority. And they give you a different idea and notion of the world and it scrambles your brain at first. And you're wondering, what in the world is this? I grew up believing this and now look at what this man is is saying to me. And your hormones are raging and your desires and you live in a kind of confusion. And sometimes it's marked by darkness and sometimes it gets empty and lonely and you feel all by yourself. And in the midst of that, you're making decisions that change your life forever. We talked last week about how our decisions Small and great, change our life, step by step. Paul says, look, I beg you, I insist, don't live this life that you used to have. That's not the place I want you to be. Look at verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. That old futile thinking with that walk that you had before, that wasn't compatible with Christ. Surely you have heard of him, verse 21. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And I underlined that statement. In accordance with the truth that is in whom? In Jesus. In accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And I tell you, college student, if you're wondering where you really plant your feet and the ground never shakes, I'm pointing to this verse right here. Okay? You make the person of Jesus the intellectual and spiritual and moral foundation of your life and your world will not shake. You live in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And this truth is personal because you are in personal relationship with him. Some of us are making a big mistake By practicing our religion in terms of lists and to-dos and what not to-dos. And we have them in our mind and we're trying to keep the Ten Commandments or whatever. And the Ten Commandments reflect the character of God. But I tell you, what is more powerful and closer to you and in the moment of crisis will serve you better and give you strength for that moment. It is doing the truth which is in accordance with Jesus orienting your life this way so that he is the regulator of your life. Now, my son-in-law runs a dry cleaning business and he called me last week and said, the regulator's broke. That doesn't mean a lot to me. A regulator is in the line between the boiler and the dry cleaning machine. And what the regulator does is it keeps the steam pressure consistent 
And it's got to be at 80 pounds, whatever that means, for the machines to work right. And the regulator was broken, not in that it wasn't working at all, but it wasn't keeping the pressure consistent. They had to shut down the cleaners. They had to shut down the machines. They couldn't do it properly without the regulator working. And I'm telling you this, you've got to have a regulator in your moral and spiritual life. And you've got one. And it better be Jesus himself. Because if he's not regulating, the dry cleaners is going to be shut down. It's not, it's not cleaning clothes right. All right? You live in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Live the truth in Jesus. You can't live in that old life with those old tapes anymore. It's not you. It's hypocrisy for you to go back to that old life. Jesus changed you. You can't live back there. You've got to abandon that old way of thinking and start thinking consistent with the life that you have in Christ. Live in agreement, in unity, in friendship, in accord, in harmony with the truth that is in Jesus. This choir was singing so beautifully just a moment ago. And you could hear them as they came in with the harmonies. No? Faith, faith, faith. The first three notes. Well, the fourth one has to fit with the other three. Right? Or what's that called? That's discord. Right? You want harmony. Now, the first three notes of your life are the words and deeds and character of Jesus the Christ. Those are the first three notes. And if you'll pay attention, you'll hear them every day in your life. And what you've got to do is sing in tune with what he's already done. That's the new way of living for you as a follower of Jesus. You sing in tune with the notes he's given. And that's harmony and unity. That is living in accordance with the truth in Jesus. You put off the old self. Those desires, they don't stop. They keep chasing you. We all know about them. We know the old self talking to us. That old thinking and walking. Look what Paul calls it. Live in the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being what? Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Well, there's the word corrupt. Anybody heard that word? You ever heard of corruption? Corruption is used in the Scripture to talk about what happens to the temple, the sacred house of worship, when it is defiled or destroyed in some way. That you corrupt the temple when you defile it or destroy it. Jesus said, 
when he cleansed the temple, they asked him what he was doing. He said, destroy this temple. You remember that? John chapter 2. Destroy this temple. He says, your barns and your banks in the house of worship are destroying the house of worship. And you do it with impunity. This was the time when he took the whip and he drove out the money changers and he drove out all the animals and he said, My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. And he drove them out. He said, You're destroying this temple. You're corrupting it. You're defiling it. The whole quote is this. Destroy this temple and in three days... I will raise it up. They're going to bring that up later on. Okay, It took them 46 years to build Herod's temple. And you're going to build it in three days, you fool? They're going to bring up these sayings at his trial. They're going to say, he's going to try to destroy the temple. Oh, they were angry at him. John says in an explanatory note in John chapter 2, but he spoke of the temple. Of his body. He spoke of the temple of his body. You can corrupt the house of worship. That's you. That's you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Corruption is about you defiling and destroying the temple God has given you, the temple of your body. Just as Jesus spoke of the temple of his body, so Paul later speaks of the temple of your body. Now, here's the thing about behavior. Jesus is our true north. He's our north star. We get out there in the world and we get confused about direction. We look to him. He's our compass. He gives us a direction. Jesus, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We look to Christ who is our true north. And on the basis of that, we correct our direction, correct our walk, and change our behavior. I'm begging you, don't live in the futile way that you did before you knew Jesus. Change your behavior to conform to the truth which is in Christ. He alone is worthy. Put off the old self and put on the new one. You are a new creation, the scripture says, in Christ You were taught in regard to that former life to put off your old self. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see the word true righteousness and holiness in verse 25 or verse 24? Hey, everybody's got a righteousness. You got one. Everybody's got a righteousness. Oh, yeah, I do right. I've got my own code. Everybody's got a righteousness. 
The Pharisees had a righteousness. The guys that, that lied about Jesus at the trial, they had a righteousness. Pilate, in the governor's mansion, he had a righteousness. He put Jesus to death knowing he was innocent. But he washed his hands before he did it. Everybody's got a righteousness. No matter how low they are, no matter how immoral, no matter how wicked, they got a righteousness. They're somewhere in the pecking order. They'll tell you they're not perfect. Oh, they know they're not perfect. But they're better than that guy. And really, they think they're better than most. And if they walk into church like us, they look around and say, yeah, I'm better than most people in this room. Now, the righteousness that you make for yourself leads you to pride first. Because every little thing you get right, you're so proud. Because you did it yourself. And your pride goes before your fall. And it leads you to shame. You know what the problem with self-righteousness is? The righteousness you manufacture for yourself. There's nothing to do with sin. There's no forgiveness in it. Now, true righteousness and holiness comes only from faith in Christ. It is imputed. It is given. It is a gift. You receive it when you acknowledge your own sinfulness and cry out to God for His grace and forgiveness. You receive this righteousness when you turn from your old life to the God who loves you and commit your way unto Him. This is a righteousness that Jesus bought for you at Calvary. And you can live in it every day. As you walk with him, confessing your sin and receiving his continual cleansing. This is the place you want to live. In true righteousness and holiness through Christ who bought your salvation with his blood. And all your behavior, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. I beg you, live the new life. Put off the old. Let's bow together. Maybe somebody in the room is saying, man, I, you know, I feel guilty. Well, what you need is forgiveness. And you can receive forgiveness as you repent and acknowledge your sin before God and ask Him to cleanse you and forgive you. To come into your life and asking Christ to be your Savior and Lord, why not do that right now where you are? Maybe you're overcome with shame. You're so ashamed of what you've done and who you are. Your solution is Christ. He cleanses you completely. And makes you a new creation. Maybe you're fearful. Your solution is Christ. Who is your strength. Lord we pray today. That you will help us. As your people to be full of your spirit. To be facing. Our true Lord and Savior. And conforming our lives. Unto him. I pray for those that do not know you as Savior that today will be the day of salvation, God. Lead them to yourself. And for Christians who have fallen to the side, God, that you will lift them up 
and restore them, even in this hour of worship. Right now, do your work in them. Thank you that there is no place of hopelessness before you, but you are the God who, who restores and forgives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.